0: As Madam in the Red Light District on West 2nd Street and later on East Grand Avenue, Big Anne would be the brains of the half-world and the uncrowned empress of the Delilahs. Her houses would be notorious dens of vice, where robbery, rape, murder, and every other crime in the category would be committed, and she would never be convicted of anything. Business and professional men Public officials, gamblers, desperados, and political bosses would all go to big anns to make a whoopee. And she would seek paramours from high-ranking citizens, issue orders to the chiefs of police, sheriffs, and county attorneys, laugh at the local coppers, and snap her fingers at the federal judiciary. All while doing this deviltry, she would accumulate a fortune of $75,000. Albert McRill And Satan Came Also, a well-illustrated narrative of Oklahoma City's social and political history. I hope everybody's having a wonderful morning on this Easter Monday. I'm Will Milam, and this is the America of America podcast. Today, we're going to talk about Anne Wynn in Hell's Half Acre, the notorious red light district that existed in early Oklahoma City. Before we start with the incredible story of Hell's Half Acre and Anne Wynn, I want to um, first plug uh, the major piece of the major resource that I'm using for this week. Um, it is the book And Satan Came Also, which was written by Albert McRill, which who was a one-time Oklahoma City manager and political commentator that first published in Satan Came Also as a history of early Oklahoma City social and political history in the 1950s, was long out of print, and was recently put back into print, uh, not only expanded, but also Annotated and revised, and with added illustrations by Larry Johnson, and it has served as a vital piece of uh, of scholarship on this topic. And that's where I'm going to begin uh, for Anne's early biographical uh, sketch. I'm just going to read directly from McRill. So starting on page forty, Anne was born in Illinois in 1863, one of a family of eighteen. At seventeen. She and a girl companion traveled in a stagecoach to Leadville, Colorado, with a motley group, a lawyer, a merchant, a preacher, a gambler, and three girls from the half-world. Leadville was then at the peak of its lawlessness, with violence and crime so common that the newspapers styled the period the reign of the footpads. In this environment, Anne lived and learned for seven years, operating a fashionable fashionable. Begino on Main Street. A year before the Oklahoma opening, a saloon keeper husband cast her off, giving her a substantial sum of money. She came to Oklahoma City the last day of the run, bringing with her a new husband, a skinny little man with the last name of Wynn, where Ann gets her name Ann Wynn. Schooled under a reign of lawlessness where public officials did the bidding of the underworld, She well understood the mutual alliance of vice, politics, and crooked business. As it was in Leadville and Denver, she reasoned, so it would be in Oklahoma City. So well did she know the pattern that she became in a short time so inextricably tied up with the city's political world that a period of almost 20 years of Oklahoma City's politics might be appropriately styled the reign of Big Ann. The influence of Big Ann was not confined to this city's underworld. She had important contacts in contacts in business and social circles of the city and was strikingly well-known whenever was strike, excuse me, was strikingly shown whenever she ran afoul of the law. Big shot civic leaders and politicians were ready at a drop of the hat to rush to court to make her bond. In the business world she was extremely popular. When on the streets or in public places, she, po- she showed poise and dignity. There was no trace of the coarse, brazen, hard-boiled attitude she exemplified in her body house role. She dressed elegantly and in fashion. When she entered one of the city's stores, her gracious manners, plus her fat wallet, completely covered up her many sins. Floor walkers, clerks, proprietors, all bowed and scraped as before royalty. Assets mounting into the thousands of dollars gave her a standing in financial circles that few legitimate businessmen had, and this popularity among substantial people had political significance way outside the kingdom of vice. So, Anne Wynne, for all intents and purposes, was our Tony Montana mixed in with a little bit of build-a-butcher. Before we get to Anne's reign in Oklahoma City, I want to stop for a second and focus on her time in Leadville, Colorado. Obviously, Leadville, Colorado is not Oklahoma City, and this is a podcast about the history of Oklahoma, but understanding Leadville, Colorado, especially in the late 19th century, is really important to coming to understand how Anne Wynn developed the tools of the trade that she did because in the late 19th century, Leadville, Colorado was one of the wildest and craziest places in the entire world. Leadville, Colorado in the late 19th century would be known for two things. First, it's insane wealth due to the discovery of precious metals in mines all over the area. We're talking rags to riches Zero dollars to millionaires in matters of weeks, and people could make that money and lose it all within a matter of months. The second thing that Leadville, Colorado was known for was its intense elevation. Something that is an important matter for Leadville's character to this very day. So while Big Ann was in Leadville, Colorado before she come to she before she came to Oklahoma City, that era coincided with one of the greatest minors in Colorado history. I'm talking about the Tabers. Horace and his second wife, Baby Doe Tabor, were at one time one of the wealthiest couples in all of Colorado. Horace would serve as Lieutenant Governor of Colorado and also serve shortly as a United States Senator representing Colorado. Once he hit his decline, Horace uh, very soon after died, but Baby Doe ended up living another 30 years after Horace's death and lived the last 30 years of her life in a shack by one of his old mines. And she lived there until the day that she died. Though they, though, well, Baby Doe died in relative obscurity, soon after there would be a Broadway show as well as a movie made about their lives and really the dramatic rags to riches to rags. Uh, adventure story that came between them in Leadville, Colorado. That legacy is still felt in Leadville today. If you drive down Leadville's main street, uh, one of the major buildings in the downtown area is the Tabor Opera House. Leadville is a very small town. It was even a small town in the late 1800s. They had a, what at the time was a state-of-the-art opera house because of how much money was in the city. In more recent years, Leadville underwent the closure of the Climax Mine which saw a lot of the citizens the city citizens go out of work. So what was the most natural course of events? Well, as a piece of background information, Leadville sits about 10,000 feet above sea level. That is really really high up elevation-wise. My father went to high school in at a boarding school in Canyon City, Colorado and reminisces about running track meets in Leadville, Colorado, where he would run an 800 meter dash and proceed to throw up from altitude sickness. Those are the kinds of conditions that Leadville is in. So what did the citizens of Leadville do after the major economic engine closed? They decided to set up a 100 mile trail run. And to this day, in the summertime, the Leadville 100 is one of the grand slams of trail running. And it's a hundred mile race through Leadville at 10,000 feet. It is a man eater. And Leadville is where Big Ann Wynn cut her teeth before coming to take her crown in Oklahoma City. As McRill writes, Ann showed up in the last day of the land run in 1889. And soon after arriving, she pitched a tent downtown. Though Anne is now famous for running Hell's Half Acre, her first brothel was not actually in that area. It was located on the corner of North Walker Avenue and West 2nd Street. Soon after Anne's first brothel, Anne would become queen of Hell's Half Acre, the red light district that we've been talking about, which was located, if you're familiar with Oklahoma City, about where the Cox Convention Center is. Soon, what is now Robert S. Kerr Avenue would become known as Harlot's Lane, which is now occupied by the Oklahoma City Museum of Art. And there were many brothels in this area, which included area, which included establishments like the Arlington, which was a quieter brothel for those seeking privacy. It was associated with Big Ann, though she did not run it. However, there were other brothels on Harlot's Lane and brothels known as places like Noah's Art which was a bit more weather-beaten and run-down and was known to be the wildest venue in one of the wildest areas in the Wild West. Next to these establishments, however, was the big one, literally called Big Ann's Place, which completed this triangle of debauchery. And Big Ann's Place was part brothel, part dance hall, and part saloon, and it reigned in Hell's Half Acre. For a while, until the early 20th century, when some city do-gooders decided that having this red light district was bad for business and bad for the morality of Oklahoma City. The first chink in Big Ann's armor came in 1902 when a new set of city politicians were elected to clean everything up. At the same time, there was reports of a truly horrific act of violence at one of Ann's establishments where two servant girls were drugged and raped. After news of this horrific crime were made public, the city took action, and two of the city's most notorious gamblers, as well as Big Ann, were charged with this rape. What will become a consistent theme throughout the rest of Big Ann's career is that the gamblers were convicted and each sent to 10 years in jail. Big Ann was released and found not guilty, and Big Ann was essentially able to do this by testifying that Oklahoma City and the politicians therein all but... Condoned her brothel activities. She wasn't doing anything illegal. She wasn't doing anything just strange Everybody knew that she was doing it and the state just allowed it Some details did arise from Anne's testimony though first that she revealed that she had been paying a specific police officer $26 a month to run her brothel and that each Sex worker in her brothel was paying these officers $10 a month further It was later found out that in the 14 years as the proprietor of Big Ann's, Ann had only paid one small fine in police court in 14 years of running the largest single illegal den of sin in all of Oklahoma City. So, like the horrific rape that happened before, Ann's testimony only put fuel on the flyer for the reformers. The mayor of Oklahoma City ordered the arrest of prostitutes, madams, and anyone engaged in the prostitution or brothel business, but these were largely unheeded. But by 1905, the reformers finally started to get their way. A new slate of Oklahoma City politicians, including the police chief as well as Oklahoma City's mayor, were hell-bent on getting rid of hell's half-acre. And here's where the first injunction occurred against one of Big Ann's brothels on Harlot's Lane. And Big Ann responded by just opening up another brothel in what is now Bricktown, if you know anything about Oklahoma City's landscape. And Big Ann was able to avoid any real consequences until August 27, 1907, when a fire erupted at Big Ann's new brothel. Three women and a man died in the blaze, and it was judged that a fire was started to cover up a murder in the establishment. And, again, Big Ann was arrested. And here was the real test of Big Ann's career. She was in a hostile situation where the reformers had taken back power. They were out for her blood and now they had something to put on her. There was a murder and an arson committed at one of her locations and it became very clear that Big Ann probably knew something about it. And they, the prosecution even brought in Anne's courtesans to testify that Anne did know something about it. They even had to keep away Anne's parrot because Anne's parrot kept on saying, quote, damn it. And Anne eventually won this. She was not found guilty of the murder. She was not found guilty of the arson. She was free to go. But in the meantime, Anne had spent $75,000 fighting this case. By the time she had gotten out, All of the wealth that she had accumulated as the most powerful madam in Oklahoma City, it was gone. And though she lived to fight another day, the Queen of Vice in Oklahoma City would soon after leave the city, moving to Los Angeles where she would live for several years before dying before her 50th birthday. And like Beer City in No Man's Land or the Panhandle, soon after this event, the Vice era in Oklahoma City began to come to an end, the death of Big Ann was really the death of an era in the city. It was never really the same again. You see remnants of it in plaques if you walk around downtown Oklahoma City, but any specific area full of bars and saloons and gambling houses isn't there anymore. There's very little to actually see if you walk down the streets to show that at one time this was a bustling sin city or an underworld of crime and debauchery. Now, These streets are filled with upscale restaurants and high-end shopping. There's an important lesson to be learned here. There is a very good book written several years ago called Last Call, which is a history of the rise and fall of prohibition by Daniel Okrent. It's a good example of not only the, the more mainstream narrative of prohibition occurring and then everyone just starting to drink underground and that we had we created this large underworld, that of course is undoubtedly true. But What Okrant does show is that prohibition did achieve one great objective. It actually brought down the average consumption of alcohol. Even though alcohol was readily flowing, the average American drank less when alcohol was re-legalized at the end of prohibition than they did before the beginning of prohibition. This could be a similar lesson for the story of Hell's Half Acre in Oklahoma City, though Big Ann eventually won. Though Big Ann was never actually convicted of anything, like I said, she only paid a small fine in police court after being one of the most powerful underworld leaders in 14 years in Oklahoma City. By Ann's, by the end of Ann's reign, Sin City in Oklahoma City was gone. Hell's Half Acre was dying. Though the law didn't win in the traditional sense. The law may have lost that battle, but it won the war. If you walk through Oklahoma City, like we've said, there's very few remnants of that there anymore. Before we leave this topic, I came to some very interesting news a couple days ago. Uh, Here in Oklahoma City, there's a wonderful little bookshop called full circle bookstore. It's located in old 50 Penn place right across the street from Penn Square Mall. And I went there to buy a copy of And Satan Came Also to begin prepping for this episode. And I was talking to the owner while I was checking out and he was telling me some stories about how there were homes in Heritage Hills, which is a very upscale old neighborhood in Oklahoma City, very close to downtown and very close to the state capital that had recently been excavated and had shown that in their basements, they had old speakeasies, that there were parts of the basements that the new owners had never seen that were once dens of drinking and gambling. So I might be wrong. When I say that the law won in the long run, that this that this era of Hell's Half Hager was driven underground, it might have been just driven underground and not actually driven out. There might have been another and win that we have just never learned about. And what's so cool about these recent excavations of these homes is that we're beginning to learn about a new side of Oklahoma City that we've never known about before. And in that same vein, shameless plug for Full Circle Bookstore. It's, it's a beautiful independent bookstore. Uh, it's very well stocked. It has a lot of new books in every genre that you can imagine. The wood paneling is gorgeous. They've also got attached... A, uh, a cafe and bar that's got a very good selection of beer and wine and wonderful coffee. It's a great place to go if you need a place to study or work in the afternoon, especially now when a lot of people are working from home. The coffee is excellent, and it's very well-priced. and It's a very good atmosphere to get some reading in. They've got board games. They've got chess. It's, it's a really great place to be, so I recommend it. If you ever find yourself in Oklahoma City, please go by and give them some business. And with that, we're going to move into the end of the show and just go into some housekeeping things. Um, I'm really happy to be recording this episode in Oklahoma City. I'm here over the Easter holiday, and it's been so great to be back. The weather has been gorgeous. I've been able to go see uh, the parts of Hell's Half Acre that I've been talking about, so that's just been a lot of fun. Um, Again, I'm... so glad that everybody's listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, ideas for the show, or just want to run something by me, please feel free to reach out at review at gmail.com. The spelling's in the show notes. And again, I want to give a big shout-out, just first to Full Circle, for selling me that copy of And Satan Came Also with its beautiful illustrations and its beautiful annotations. And a big thanks to my dear friend, as always, Joseph DeWorlacotti, for helping me out with the research for this podcast. And with that, I hope everybody has a wonderful Easter Monday. I hope everybody had a wonderful Easter Sunday. And we'll see you next week when we're going to talk about the 1945 Football National Championship, which was claimed recently by Oklahoma State University, and we're going to talk about the events that led to that. And with that, I'm Will Milam, and this is the America of America podcast. Thanks so much for listening.